At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. On this episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly, GQ staff writer Tyler Tynes joins us to discuss former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores and the lawsuit he filed against the NFL and three teams alleging racist hiring practices. And later, as one of four members of the wildly popular Around the NFL podcast, Chris Wessling was one of the best and most beloved football broadcasters in the world. He was also my friend. Sadly, Chris died from cancer two days before last year's Super Bowl. He was 46. I'm joined by his wife, Lakeisha, and our ATN family to remember Wes and celebrate his life. But first, the Super Bowl will be held at SoFi Stadium this Sunday. It's a beautiful new building that offers an incredible experience for football fans. But what has the stadium meant for the residents of Inglewood? We spoke with members of the community, the Inglewood mayor, and more about the impact of SoFi on one of the poorest neighborhoods in LA County. And just a quick heads up, this episode features some heavy topics and explicit language. It's February 9th. I'm your host, John Gonzalez. From Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio, this is Sports Illustrated Weekly.
what's it like uh, for the traffic, like getting in and out on? Like if you had to go to the store or something on oh, Sunday. Oh shit! It's it's crazy as hell. On Sunday, for the first time in 29 years, the Super Bowl is back in Los Angeles. SoFi Stadium is the NFL's shiniest new showcase. It's the biggest and most expensive stadium in the country, if not the world. It's also located in Inglewood, a predominantly Black, Latino, and Hispanic neighborhood that is one of the poorest in LA County. The Rams and Chargers both play their games at SoFi, which means that Inglewood residents deal with an influx of 70,000 visitors for each game, a number that will balloon to 100,000 people for the Super Bowl, effectively doubling the population of Inglewood that day. Everyone agrees that SoFi offers an incredible experience for football fans. But how have the people of Inglewood been impacted by their new neighbor? And as more than one Inglewood resident asked me, would you want to live next to it? I reported this story for a written piece. You can read it right now on SI.com. So instead of hosting this particular segment myself, we're going to bring in our senior producer, Dan Bloom. Hey, John. How's it going? Thank you for doing this, my friend. Are you kidding? My pleasure. Anything for you. All right, John, let's start with how you came up with the idea for this story. Yeah, so I went to a game earlier in the season. The Cardinals were playing the Rams, and it was my first time to SoFi, and I had a great time. It was an incredible experience. The stadium is first rate in every possible way. But on the way in and out, you basically drive through the neighborhood of Englewood. I mean, it's a residential neighborhood that's butted up right against the stadium. And I was wondering to myself, like, what would it be like to live here and to have all of these people who don't live in the community come into the community every single weekend? How did SoFi Stadium end up in Englewood in the first place? So Englewood has a long history of sports in the community. Maybe the most iconic thing about Englewood prior to SoFi Stadium coming along was the Forum. The game ends. The Lakers have won it again. Where the Showtime Lakers and the Los Angeles Kings played for a long time. But then the Lakers left and the Kings left. And by 2011, Englewood was functionally broke. And that's when Mayor James Butts was elected. When I left England, we had the three-piece Showtime Lakers. We had the Kings of Hockey. We had the racetrack was doing 43,000 people a day, six days a week. And when I came back, functionally, all we had was the Sizzler and a Big Nut. Our bond rating was triple B minus at the time, which is one step above junk. We had $10 million in the bank, and we had an $18 million structural deficit. So in 2011, by September or October, we would have been bankrupt. Obviously not great when you're touting a chain restaurant like a Sizzler and a Randy's Donut, which while iconic in LA, probably want a little bit more than that as your main attractions. But James Butts is a really interesting figure. He was Englewood's second ever black police cadet. And then from there, he was a homicide detective, an undercover officer. He led the SWAT team. And then he becomes the police chief of Santa Monica before returning to Englewood and winning election as mayor. He also has an MBA. So when he's elected, He's got big plans for the city. Where I stand right now is going to be the site of what we hope will be an 80,000-seat stadium that will spill over into the most magnificent development. Here and there is going to be the stadium. It's time for new things. Aside from Rams owner Stan Kroenke, nobody is more responsible for bringing SoFi Stadium to Englewood than Mayor James Butts. I mean, he is, without a doubt, the biggest evangelist for that stadium. 
So the NFL had long wanted to move back to Los Angeles for obvious reasons. It's a massive market and it was an untapped market and it didn't make any sense for America's biggest sport not to be there. And so Mayor Butts thought, look, we have a long history of catering to sports teams in this town. Why not put our hand up? Let's have sports again. Let's have concerts again. Let's have people coming to Inglewood. Let's make Inglewood a destination. So they put in the bid and they win the bid and they get the stadium built in Inglewood. It feels like being inside the matrix. This is truly the resurrection of the city of champions. City of champions part two. And because of that, the mayor will list off any number of things that he sees as a positive benefit, not just to Inglewood, but to the residents as a result of their relationship with SoFi Stadium. The NFL networks left Culver City. YouTube is operating a 6,000 seat performing arts theater. We attracted the LA Philharmonic Youth Orchestra program. We have the Girl Scouts, the Greater Los Angeles, a youth tennis program at Edward Vincent Park that the city subsidizes so lower income families, kids can learn tennis. There's only three mega cities in this country that have had the number of events and teams that we have in nine square miles. And that's San Francisco, New York, and Los Angeles. But what took them a generation, we did in less than seven years. This is like a resurrection. The pride in the city is just off the charts. John, you took the time to actually go to Inglewood. Can you just paint as vivid a picture as you can of just what it was like for you to go there, park your car, walk down the street, and find and meet people? Yeah, I wanted to get a sense of what was going on in Inglewood for myself. So I went there and I talked to people on a game day about what their experiences are like living in the neighborhood when all these people are coming in from out of the area. I knew that traffic was going to be bad. So I parked my car pretty far away from the stadium and I just walked it in like 15 or 20 minutes. And then suddenly you're in the part of Inglewood that's right next to the stadium. And aside from the stadium, it's a neighborhood not unlike other neighborhoods in all of Los Angeles, palm trees, the whole thing. And then out of nowhere, you see this giant edifice (laughs) that looks like it was plunked down from a Star Trek movie. And it's super incongruous with the rest of the neighborhood. I mean, it obviously, (laughs) the architecture is radically different than what you would see for where somebody lives. And as I was walking down the street, a guy opens up his front door and he had a big bushy hairdo because it looked like it was early in the morning and maybe he had just woken up and he didn't have a shirt on. And he leans out and he shouts to somebody who had just parked their car, hey, you can't park there. And I thought he was just aggravated by it, but he was just trying to be helpful. And it turns out his name is Josh. Every Sunday, he's out there trying to be a good Samaritan, telling people, hey, you can't park there. They'll tow you. Okay, so parking is an issue. We know that. But are there any benefits? Yeah, the parking thing, there's two sides to that, Dan, because on the one hand, yes, it's an issue for the residents. On the other hand, if you have a parking space at your house somewhere for other cars to park, residents will rent that out to people coming in on game days. And that's actually going to happen for the Super Bowl, where the Los Angeles Times reported that some spots could go for as much as $5,000. I know people, Dan, in Inglewood who live, you know, about a mile and a half or so from SoFi Stadium, who think they can fit five cars into their backyard at $1,000 a pop. So you could do your math there, that would work out great for them, but this is still not really considering 
the overarching problem, which is the influx of people every single game day. And I know that some people listening to this will think, oh, that's just people in LA whining about traffic the way they always do. But that's not the case because the people of Englewood are talking about how their lives are fundamentally altered on game days in ways that other LA residents, including myself, don't experience because we don't live near SoFi. You have to like literally, sometimes my husband get out here like hold the traffic and then we'll just ease up out. So this is Yolanda Johnson again. She's the woman we heard from at the top of the piece who said the traffic in Englewood is crazy as hell. And you know what? She's right. It is crazy as hell. Coming back in one night, I was coming from work. It took me an hour just to get to my house. How long? How far away is work? I work probably like 15 minutes from here. So it was like an hour. And I did not want to park all the way around the corner and back again and just leave my car there. So I just stayed, just chilled out until the traffic died out. If you're in Inglewood on a Sunday and you're a resident, you have to plan ahead of time. You have to say, okay, there's a game today. I have tasks A, B, and C to accomplish. Am I doing it before the game? Am I waiting it out and doing it after? Whatever day the game falls on, that is a lost day for Inglewood residents. So along these same lines, John, people might be tempted to think that more traffic equals more business. More people come into your neighborhood, they come across your storefront, there's a higher chance they'll spend some money, right? But you discovered that it's more complicated than that. Yes. Yeah, so as I'm walking around, I stumbled onto Blessed Tropical Jamaican Cuisine, which is a Jamaican restaurant, also directly across the street from SoFi Stadium. And the co-owner was inside. Her name is Sandra Estrada. And we just started talking about how her business is doing. And I asked her, what was it like during the pandemic? The pandemic, we did real good. Yeah. We did real good. Well, you would think the pandemic effect was it didn't. Man, we did great during the pandemic especially on Sundays. Sundays are her big days. That's when she sells the most oxtail. And then the stadium opened and she said, I think we're going to do great because all these people are coming. 70,000 people every Sunday. We're directly across the stadium. We're going to do even better business. But the opposite has been true. They used to do like $5,000 a day and the food would finish early. By seven o'clock, the food would be gone. Customers come in and I don't have no more food. Now I'm praying to see them come in. Yeah. Yeah. And this is my life. This is my business, you know? Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. She's selling a fraction of the oxtail on Sunday that she used to. And she's not sure exactly why that is. She thinks it's probably a combination of factors. Part of it is probably that people are eating at the stadium. And part of it is the traffic concerns because the way that the traffic is flowed Some people going in one direction can't make a left into her parking lot. On top of that, the landlord for the strip mall that houses her restaurant can make a big buck on Sunday renting it out to football fans, which means there are fewer spots for people to park to go and patronize Sandra's restaurant. Please tell me that you tried this oxtail. One of my great regrets in journalism and life was not getting that oxtail. And I feel terrible about it. You know, <laughs> like that's a perfect example. I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem <laughs> because I'm going to the stadium. I'm part of the problem because I'm consuming the mm. NFL. I love the NFL. The stadium's incredible. And then on top of that, I'm part of the problem because I didn't buy the damn oxtail that I should have bought, <laughs> you know, and it smelled amazing. All right. So what else happened to you walking around in Inglewood on an empty stomach? 
Yeah, so I'm walking around and I see a bunch of cars going into a parking lot and I figure I'll run over there and talk to some people as they're gathering and it turned out to be a church. And I meet a really nice guy. His name is Miguel Alvarado. And now what do you do for the church? I am the pastor. Yeah. Oh, you're the pastor? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, very nice I'm to meet pastor. you. His church is directly across the street from SoFi Stadium. It is separated by one street. So he's right in the thick of it. And he said sometimes his parishioners don't want to come anymore because it's really hard to get in and out. And then he's had parishioners have to move. Today I have uh, one person who came and he asked me that, uh, that he's going to move to Lancaster with his family because um, they can't afford to live in here anymore. Yeah. Inglewood was too expensive for them. So they decided to take their entire life and move it two hours north. And that's a life alter. You're now commuting back two hours to work in Englewood, or you have to find a new job somewhere closer to where you live in Lancaster. So your whole life has now changed. Now, the mayor's counterpoint to that would be Englewood's books are no longer in the red because of the steps the city has taken, including SoFi. The city is financially stable, and we're able to methodically and strategically redo things like our main library, our satellite libraries, where we trimmed about 600 trees a year out of a 19,000 tree inventory every year. We do about 3,000 trees a year. We've paved and resurfaced more lane miles of roadway, more linear feet of sidewalk in the last seven years than the prior 40 years combined. So this is added to the quality of life. The mayor gets that some residents have concerns, but he ultimately lands on the trade-offs being worth it. No situation is ideal. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of cities that would want to be in our situation. I'll tell you that as a fact. Well, he would be mayor number 66 who has claimed these benefits that are going to trickle down. This is Rick Eckstein. He's a professor of sociology and criminology at Villanova. And he co-wrote a book called Public Dollars, Private Stadiums. This puffery about how communities are going to benefit, it just doesn't happen. And even though there's this real consensus among social scientists that these things do not bear economic fruit in the long run anyway. The stadiums keep getting built and people keep justifying it with these economic arguments. People can talk about it all they want, but the data just aren't there. And that's why stadiums are built where they're built. They build it in places like Englewood. They're not going to build it in Beverly Hills, put it that way. Rick said when you look at the people who are coming into the stadium for games, whether it's on game day during the regular season or the tourists coming in for the Super Bowl, these are people who obviously don't live in Inglewood. Some of them probably have stereotypical fears of the area since it is a majority minority, as some say, and they don't want to go to the Jamaican restaurant. I was looking at some of the restaurants in the area. Most of them are chains, and that's an issue too, right? That money spent at a national chain doesn't usually stay in the local community. It gets sucked out to wherever the headquarters happen to be and wherever the executives happen to be. Whenever a stadium is built, someone somewhere who's associated with the stadium will put out an economic impact report and everything will be glowing and rosy and say, by building the stadium in your neighborhood, oh man, everybody's gonna get rich. Well, some people are gonna get rich, but it's not everybody. These economic impact reports, unsurprisingly, are very favorable to the people who are commissioning these economic impact reports. And they're even favorable to the economists who are commissioned to do the reports because Rick Eckstein says they can literally plan for retirement with the money they earn from doing the work. I'm not going to name names here, but there was someone who was 
was really prominent in being critical stadiums back 20, 25 years ago. He started doing research for the teams. And I asked him, I said, well, why do you do that? I said, well, that's where the money is. I'm making tens of thousands of dollars doing these advocacy studies and I want to retire. That's where the money is like, you know, why you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. When I was talking to Rick Eckstein, I asked him, what's the future look like for Englewood? Because again, if you read the economic impact reports, everything sounds like Englewood is going to be the city of the future. And Eckstein said, look at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. That was built in a very middle-class, working-class area of Brooklyn with all the promises that there's going to be all the stuff going on and, and all the people are just going to be riding that gravy train. It's going to be great. Well, they're gone now. They got priced out of the market. They don't live there anymore. So is there anyone in Inglewood trying to make sure that their community does not go down the same road as Brooklyn with the Barclays Center? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people. I mean, there's all kinds of activists in Inglewood and people in the community who feel that they have ownership of Inglewood and want to make sure that they don't get pushed out of town. And one resident who's working really hard on that front is a guy named Derek Steele. He's lived in Inglewood since 2008, and he's an activist for a group called Uplift Inglewood, which is an organization that was created in 2015. And what they try to do is work with all of these companies that are coming into Englewood, like SoFi Stadium, to make sure that the residents of Englewood have a voice and a seat at the table. We have to be along this journey together. With the Rams coming in, the new stadium being built, people were really excited about what it could actually mean for the city. Most of the people in Englewood that I spoke with just had a lot of concerns. They had concerns about how much they were going to have to spend to stay in Englewood in terms of housing the impact on their businesses, the impact on their community. But Derek Steele was saying, you know, I've been to the stadium too. And it was an amazing experience, man. So I think if people have the opportunity to live here and and have those types of experiences, it's really a net positive uh, because it is bringing resources, it is bringing jobs, it is bringing opportunity. And as long as we're able to be here to be a part of that, it's always going to be a net positive. He said something that I had heard from a number of people that I had spoken with in Inglewood, which is people are leaving Inglewood to find cheaper places to live. He told me a story about his daughter, who's a grade schooler, and how she had a friend who her parents decided to move. And that's what it it was real to me. Like, you could actually see it in real life happening. And it's like, well, why did they have to move? Oh, yeah, the rent went up $1,000. Like, $1,000? Like, come on, you know, and so we got to figure out what we're going to do here. This is not hyperbole. This is not being made up. People are really suffering. We got to figure out what we're going to do here. But the mayor, James Butts, didn't exactly agree with that, did he? No, not really. He points out that Englewood is still cheaper to live in than some of the surrounding areas. Englewood has a 3% cap on rents, the lowest in the state of California. We have more affordable housing units per capita and in whole numbers than anywhere in the South Bay. Also, our average rents are the lowest in the South Bay. So it seems, John, from the outside, like the mayor and activists like Derek Steele wouldn't agree on a whole lot. I mean, they do and they don't, Dan. They both clearly want what's best for Inglewood, but they obviously differ on how to get there and what that looks like. I want to make sure that people are good. 
They deserve to be made whole because they've done the work. They've done the due diligence to be a part of all the, the activity that's happened over the years when there wasn't anything. And now that there is something, we should make sure that they're able to stay here too. Not every conversation has been easy and there's been some frustration along the way. But I think as long as we continue to keep the lines of communication open, we can get to a point where people can be really be taken care of. So what does Derek Steele mean when he says there's been some frustration? Mayor Butts is a colorful figure and <laughs> sometimes speaks more bluntly than you would expect other politicians to speak. And there have been multiple city council sessions where he will dress down his constituents. There was one city council meeting where a constituent had suggested the Rams pay for the extension of the nearby Crenshaw line that would serve as a people mover that would, in theory, cut down on some traffic, right? Instead of driving into Inglewood for the game, you hop on the train and all of a sudden you're at SoFi Stadium. If I were an Inglewood resident, I might think the same thing. And the mayor, in no uncertain terms, told this resident what a bad idea that was. This is something that will be in play 365 days a year to deal with the blessings and, and riches that we have worked ourselves into, okay? This is our responsibility. It's not enough to say, oh, somebody else should pay for it. That's not what mature adults do. They handle their responsibilities. And the council is handling its responsibility. There was another city council session that really got contentious. There was a resident in Inglewood that was displeased with Inglewood giving the Clippers use of city land in order to hold a press conference to discuss their pending stadium, the Intuit Dome. And at the end of the city council session, the mayor got caught on a hot mic telling this person, go choke yourself, Diane. And not surprisingly, that's not a great look politically. (laughs) The optics of that aren't fantastic. Most politicians that I've interacted with are more times than not going to be extremely careful with their words. And James Butts is the opposite. What you get with James Butts is this was a great idea. We needed this in our city. And I would do it again exactly the same way every single time. And apparently the Caribbean restaurants be damned because Mayor Butts, in my view, is running a serious risk of being labeled as anti-oxtail. <laughs> yeah, I asked him about that. And when I tried to pin him down specifically on Sandra's restaurant, I was sort of struck. Businesses operate under the system of capitalism we have in this country. And no one guarantees anyone everything will always stay the same. And there are times when adjustments have to be made. I'm very sorry that business was better before the crowds from SoFi. It's a little difficult to understand how so many businesses benefit from all the additional traffic. So I don't know how to respond to one individual situation, but I would tell you this, you have more opportunity if you sell things, if tens of thousands of cars come down your street than if none come down. It reminded me of the old adage that if you want to make an omelet, you're going to have to break some eggs. It wouldn't have surprised me to hear that come out of his mouth exactly. But in that instance, those eggs are his constituents. Those are his voters. (laughs) Englewood didn't have a vote on this. There's a loophole in California state law that allows cities like Englewood to gather signatures from the residents. By doing that, 
it allowed city council and the mayor to vote it up or down, thereby bypassing putting it on the ballot. And not surprisingly, the mayor and city council voted for it unanimously. And that's how the residents of Inglewood got bypassed on having a, a true say in whether or not it was built in their backyard. When I was talking to the mayor about how the stadium got built, I called it an end around. And boy, he did not like that. Why not put it on the ballot? Why was there sort of this end around that prevented residents from voting on it? Was it legal, John? For, for the city council to vote on it, to, to go that way? Yeah, it was yeah, legal. Okay, so it was within the law. Now, I'm amazed because I've been asked that question before. It was smart for us to do that, to be decisive. We had competing cities that wanted to do it. Everything was going to go to the people that were swift. And so we did what we felt the residents wanted. And it turns out we were right. If it was you, if you weren't Mayor Butts, if you were just Inglewood resident James Butts, would you have wanted a vote? I would have wanted them to do their duty and vote the initiative into law because this was a dynamic time. There were competitors. And so I dare say if we waited around for a vote, we would have lost ground with our competitors. He is fully committed to the idea that SoFi is an overall positive and a win for Englewood. The alternative is to be crime-ridden, to have no job-generating businesses in town, to have no drive-through traffic that spends money where the taxes stay with the residents. And then you know what? Then you'll have very, very cheap rents, but you'll have a very undesirable city to live in. So what do you think happens, John? What happens to the residents who live around SoFi Stadium? I hope, like Derek Steele hopes, that along with Uplift Englewood and a bunch of the activists, they figure out a way to stay in Englewood and make it affordable for them and make it beneficial for them. If it's a situation on the other side where they're getting displaced from it, they didn't even have a say in it, rents are being raised in ways that they can't even take on and nobody's doing anything about it, like those things are, are not good, not only just for those adults in the space, but also the youth. Because what does the future hold for them? And what are we saying to them about what the future means to them if we're not taking care of them and their families? But I fear, like the economist that we spoke with, that a lot of people in Inglewood who could previously afford to live there will be pushed out because they can't anymore. This is just the beginning for Inglewood. You've got the Super Bowl this year. Next year, in 2023, it'll host the College Football National Championship and WrestleMania. 2028, the LA Olympics. And in 2024, you're going to add in the Clippers too. This is what life will be like for Inglewood in perpetuity moving forward. And James Butts is not second guessing anything, and he will tell you so. Is there anything you would do differently? I mean, because so far I'm hearing, hey, we nailed this. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of a thing that we would have done differently. You can read my story about how SoFi Stadium has impacted Inglewood on SI.com. We'll link to it in our show notes. After the break, we discuss Brian Flores' lawsuit and NFL hiring practices with GQ staff writer Tyler Tynes. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, the big story this week was Brian Flores, Brian Flores, Brian Flores and the lawsuit against the Dolphins and also involving the Broncos and the New York Giants. He is in pursuit with a class action lawsuit, basically inviting other coaches to come in. What he's doing is for the greater good. Uh, He's willing to sacrifice himself. The NFL is struggling to integrate everywhere else besides on stages during the halftime show. And if you're not running the ball down the field. When former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores filed a lawsuit against the NFL and three teams alleging racist hiring practices, he became the latest and loudest voice to shout about the league's lack of diversity and its long overdue need for change. Tyler Tynes is a staff writer for GQ who has written extensively in his career about the lack of opportunities afforded to black athletes, coaches, and executives in sports. I asked Tyler to join me for a conversation about Flores and the NFL's troubling track record when it comes to putting people of color in positions of power. All right, so Tyler, we've talked about this offline a lot of times. Opportunities that are regularly afforded to white people in the workplace that are not afforded to black people and people of color. We've discussed that in general. As everybody knows, last week, Brian Flores filed 
a class action lawsuit against the NFL and three teams alleging racist hiring practices. Flores himself has said the proof is in the numbers, and it is. Zero owners in the NFL who are black. Previously, one black head coach. Now there's two now that the Texans have hired Lovey Smith. Three black quarterback coaches, four black offensive coordinators, six black general managers out of 32 teams in a league that is roughly 70% black. Tyler, I wish we could be surprised by this. Nobody who's paid attention is surprised by this. But now Brian Flores is shouting it and making people who didn't pay attention pay attention. Do you think people will get it now? No. I mean, there's really no reason to believe that people in this country or even anywhere else when it comes to hiring actually care about hiring people that are better for their bottom line, better for their business. We hire people based off of what we know. And if you only know white people, well, then of course you're only going to hire white people. You know, the idea behind this is that no matter if it's in journalism, no matter if it's in football, anywhere where specifically black people can exist, we were never envisioned to have these jobs. When somebody seeks out a job description, they're not looking for black people. Like when you go to make the listing of how we think about these jobs, you're not looking for black people. And so you can say all what you want about the Rooney Rule. You can say all of what you want about interviewing. You can say all of what you want about pipelines. And are these people ready to take these jobs? But the reality of the situation is that at the very core of it, the centrality of the problem right now is that there is no diversity in leadership. And if there's no diversity in leadership in the front office, on the sidelines, in the ownership group, and specifically in the ownership group, the people who set out to set the identity of who these people are supposed to be, well, then we're never going to win. There could be a hundred Brian Flores that come past until there are black and brown owners, specifically until there are black owners in the NFL, multiple black owners in the NFL. Yeah. We are going to do this every single year, every single January and February until something changes. And for the entirety of the history of the NFL, nothing on this topic has changed. I think the position of power thing is so important, and that's something that you always stress when we have these conversations. The people who are in real positions of power and privilege here are the owners, as you said, and they're the ones who created the system that has led to the lack of diversity. So how could we ever expect that the very people who created this system of inequality would then honestly evaluate it and fix it? Right. Every statistic since 1980 on, from Arizona State to Georgetown to any academic research, quantitative studies, even the studies the NFL has paid for, points to a very specific problem. And that is that not only do we not get the opportunity to come into the door, not only when we do get the opportunity to come into the door that these interviews are rigged, but if we fuck up one time, we will never come back, ever. The likelihood of a Black person getting a head coaching job is slim. To get a second one, it's even more. Yeah. So... The whole problem is how we consider football and the people we put in charge to run these teams. There have been about seven or eight openings this offseason for NFL head coaches. Five people have been hired. None of them have been black. Basically, you're talking about you don't trust an African-American to be a leader of men. The National Football League, players of color, 71 percent. Mm -hmm. One head coach is black. And those opportunities that you're saying, like when they do come, how they're treated in those opportunities, what kind of opportunities they get, and getting a second opportunity is a really important point. Brian Flores is talking about how he was offered $100,000 per game to lose, right? Hugh Jackson claimed the same. Hugh Jackson goes 1-31 and 31 his first two seasons, gets fired after starting 2-5-1 in 2018. He might join the suit. Flores lawyers say other coaches contacted them about the same thing. So you've got the Browns, the Dolphins, franchises that are down on their luck. They take these jobs when those teams are down. 
and they offer them to black coaches to serve as caretakers. And then immediately when those picks come in or they start to get better, they get moved out. And to your point, second opportunities don't come along. So what kind of opportunities are they actually getting in the NFL? Bad ones, right? I mean, you know, if you're David Culley, you've waited your entire life, you're in your 60s to be a head coach, you've gone through all of these interviews, and your first job is with the Houston Texans and you're fired the same year. You were never set up to succeed. You're set up to right? lose. If Brian Flores' lawsuit is what he says it is, then he was never set up to succeed, right? right. And, and here's the thing. There's a massive burden of proof to prove only to people who don't believe in racism. When black folks tell me that something racist happened to them, I believe them pretty quickly because I know what has happened to me. And so there's not like some large treasure trove of evidence. There's not like some secret, you know, manila envelope of money. It's sheer empathy. Do you believe this man or don't you? And if you don't believe this man, why don't you? If you can't believe this man, why can't you believe all the other hundreds of men who have said since the inception of football in the modern state, since the 60s, the 70s and on, that they are not getting jobs, they are not getting a fair shake. It is a systemic failure of the highest magnitude. And the NFL is not the only league who has to reckon with that. So Brian Flores messaged Cameron Wolf from the NFL Network, and he said, it was time to stop being quiet about the injustices that are happening. This was long overdue. There's plenty of racism that needs to be exposed. And I think that's absolutely right, and that's true. But I want to lead you into something that you've mentioned to me that's always stuck with me, that you said when, when something like this happens in sports, with sports and ownership that's predominantly white, or fans act out and shout something racist at Russell Westbrook or LeBron, the reaction of sports media is generally to run to black athletes and coaches and say, oh, the system is broken. How do we fix it? And your point has always been, why do the people who look like Flores and Westbrook and LeBron have to fix the broken system when the people who set up the broken system don't look like Flores and Westbrook and LeBron? Well, that's what I'm saying, right? Is that like, you know, no one's asking Bill Belichick about this. No one's knocking on Stephen Ross's door and saying what happened. You're expecting these black people who have been through trauma for so many different years, through so many different ideas of what trauma looks like for the black body in the United States and its history, to go from that to then say, why don't y'all explain to us, a majority white labor pool in journalism, exactly how this goes on? Why don't you ask anybody else? Because they have as much to say about this as we do. And if they don't, they should. Because the only way and the only path towards any idea of equity when it comes to the black body in the United States, and especially through athletics, is with these white people who actually hold the power and the key to unlocking what the future of these athletics looks like. Rod Graves, the president of the First Pilot Alliance, always says that diversity is good for business. And that no matter what, even if you don't want these black people, even if you don't want us near you, that we are good for your bottom line. If black people can't even be good enough to help you make money as a white organization in the NFL, then we are no good to this league except as crash dummies. And a lot of these men and a lot of these people within football at every single level are a bit tired of being crash dummies. And they've been a bit tired of that for a very long time. So, you know, commend and respect to Brian Flores, but nothing that we're discussing is new. Yeah. Just in the time of the Rooney rule, we have not accomplished yeah. that much. And so if the Rooney rule doesn't work, if the legislation the league is putting out doesn't work, if half-hearted efforts from the people in power to help us out are going nowhere, we're just not wanted here. Yeah. And I think that's why Brian Flores is standing up and speaking out. But to the earlier point about him having to do it and mm -hmm. do it alone, 
We know what the repercussions could potentially be. I mean, Colin Kaepernick already went down this road and then immediately, not only did he not get a job and he still hasn't and he won't, there was all this pushback and propaganda about how he wasn't good enough, right? All of a sudden he wasn't good enough, which is utter nonsense and everybody knew it to be so. And now you have Flores flat out saying that he knows that those same techniques might be used against him and then he might be torpedoing his career. I want to play you a clip. This is what he said on ESPN. But I understand the risks of... of, of, uh filing a lawsuit like this um but i'm very um, i am hopeful that i will it's something i'm passionate about uh but if change if, if change comes um and if i never coach again and there's change it, it'll be worth it tyler i mean again i wish we could be surprised and he obviously has gone into this eyes wide open but what does that say about the system when you have a guy who says i i see all this stuff we all see it but I'm going to point it out, even though I know this could be the end of my career. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing that people can probably take from this is, is is very simple. This is not about Brian Flores. Like As much as we would like to believe that this is an anomaly in how we think about racism in the United States, this is not about Brian Flores. This is about the hundreds of Brian Flores's that have come through the NFL since the 60s, since the 70s and on, who were never given a chance. Before we can even get to a fair chance, they weren't even given the chance to come in the room. Now that we are forced to be in the room, which only came from a Rooney rule, which only came from legislation by Johnny Cochran and Cyrus Mary, or excuse me, the threat of litigation by those people. And that's why we have this legislation now. The NFL does not care about this. There are dozens of coaches around the NFL right now, special teams coaches, running backs coaches, defensive coordinators, cornerbacks coaches, receivers coaches, who have had these jobs for 10, 15, 20 years. Special teams coordinator in Tampa Bay right now has been coaching special teams for 30 years. He has not had more than five opportunities to be a head coach. In 30 years, he didn't file a lawsuit. What about Deuce Staley? He didn't yeah. file a lawsuit. What about Raheem Morris? He didn't yep. file a lawsuit. And so what do we do about these guys who are literally just regular people who have to exist within the NFL who will never get their fair shot? It doesn't matter what Hugh Jackson says. And frankly, it doesn't matter what Brian Flores says. We have decades of anecdotal evidence and paid for data by the NFL that says this shit is fucked up and it's not changing. So when exactly are we going to do something? Yeah, and... and you're right when you say the Rooney rule was set up to have people in the room, but being in the room isn't real. It's just a symbol so that they can get around saying, oh, you know, we haven't talked to any black people. Also, I find it staggering that you hear a lot of things in the NFL about, oh, these people that own the teams or the general managers or the people who work for the teams at a management level, they're not racist just because they go and hire a white person. I want to play something for you from Tiki Barber on his WFAN show who said he knows the Maras, the owners of the Giants, and that they're not racist. He told this story about Wellington Mara dying, and he Tiki had gone to his bedside to say thank you for making me a Giant, and he was upset because you know Mara had died, and now all of this stuff is coming out about the Giants, and it bothers him that people see the Maras as racist. This is what he said. They embraced me like like I was family, you know what I mean? And so I know them intimately. So when I say I don't believe they're racist, it's because I I know they're not, right? And yeah, maybe they don't have the 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 right head coach, the black head coach. Uh even though there's black players. They don't have a black general manager 
or a black coordinator, right? I know they're not a racist organization. So I get that he's emotional, Tyler, but when he outlines that they have black players but not a black coordinator or a black head coach or a black executive, that's the problem. He's just outlining the system that is structurally racist. How many black head coaches have the New York Giants ever had in their history as a team? I don't know. None. How many black GMs have the New York Giants ever had as this history as a team? I'm going to take a guess that it's also none. One, Jerry Reese. And so the point here, right, is that if you would like to prove somebody is not racist, maybe the evidence that you were reaching for should be a bit more substantial. Don't nobody give a damn about what Tiki Barber is saying. Plenty of black folks have said that this is racist. And one black person who had a great time with the Giants is not going to change that. The mayors don't hire black people. We would not be here if the mayors hired Brian Flores. Pretty simple thing. We are choosing to keep this league. You know what I mean? Like There is an active and subjective decision to keep this league and its coaches white. Until that changes, I don't give a fuck about what nobody else got to say. So what do you think ultimately happens with the Flores situation? I mean, again, his lawyers have said that other head coaches have reached out, that others might join the class action lawsuit. Where do you think we come down at the end of the day with him and with this lawsuit and with the league? I think it will be the playoffs next year. It will be January 2023. And we will still not have a lot of black coaches that are even at an equitable share of what the NFL looks like. And if that is what the case is going to be, as it has been every single January and February for the last 20 or 30 years, then this isn't going to really matter. Awareness is amazing. But the end result is opportunity. We must have the opportunity to get in the room. And if a lawsuit is not going to change that, which the last one didn't, I'm going to assume we're going to be sitting right back here, January 2023, February 2023, and every year onwards, until people get hired, until there's black owners. Yeah, I think the opportunity is the key point. And I fear that you're probably right about this. I appreciate you doing this. You can find him at at Tyler Ricky Tynes on Twitter. Go read his stuff in GQ and on GQ.com. He was named the Big Leads Sports Writer of the Year for 2021. I'll take the odds on him repeating in 2022. Tyler, thank you. Appreciate you, man. After a break, we remember NFL podcaster and my friend, Chris Wessling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. On January 30th, something close to impossible happens. And now the Bengals will turn to their rookie kicker, Evan McPherson. Here we go. Just like last game. Just like last game. Let's go to the bowl. The Bengals are in the Super Bowl. And like Rosie and I were talking about this, you know, for the ATN guys, like how powerful this feels, right? Like for us to watch this, these two teams play. Who would have picked this? Who would have thought this? And like, it's happening. It really does feel like Wes is with us for this. They're kicking it on third down. He was four for four. This one's for Wes. It's so much. It's so much all at once. You know, and when McPherson hits that field goal and we're all together, it's just like, it's every emotion. You know, it's, it's such happiness. What defined Wes to me is like wanting to be around the people that he loved. The man we're all talking about is Chris Wessling better known to his friends as Wes. This was Wes in action on the NFL Network's popular Around the NFL podcast. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. What? 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 Titans are in the Midwest. (laughs) Do you know where Nashville is? I mean, I I hear what you're saying, but I've never heard that. Nashville's in the Midwest, too? No. I can't take this anymore. It's right in the heart of the country. No, this is in a big spot. An 8-3 team on a six-game winning streak? I'm going to look it up! Jesus Christ. You guys have sat behind me or sat beside me for 700 shows. You sat beside me for a grueling battle with cancer. Will you stand beside me on the most important day of my life? I don't believe in Bigfoot, but I could spend hours on cryptozoology. I think yesterday was way better than today, just because of West of Us, really. Oh, it was phenomenal. And I'm still downright giddy. Two days before last year's Super Bowl, I got a call from Dan Hansis of the Around the NFL podcast. It was the call we had all been dreading. Dan told me that our friend and his podcast partner, Chris Wessling, had died after a long struggle with cancer. Chris was 46. We were all devastated, and we still are a year later. It remains painful and hard to process. Wes meant so much to so many people. For me and our group of friends, Wes was family. To honor him the best way I know how, I asked his wife, Lakeisha, his ATN co-hosts, Dan, Mark Sessler, and Greg Rosenthal, and my wife and NFL Network broadcaster, Colleen Wolf, to join me in remembering and celebrating Wes, a man who we love deeply 
and who was taken from us far too soon. All right, so I want to start with what we're calling the Westling Super Bowl. Chris was from Cincinnati, and we can talk about how he actually felt about the Bengals later, but they hadn't won a single playoff game in 31 years, and then all of a sudden they go on this run. And we had watched the divisional round at Lakeisha's, and we started talking about wouldn't it be cool if the Bengals played the Rams because Keish is a Rams fan, not just from L.A., but going back to St. Louis. And so we decide to watch the AFC championship game at Keisha's house. By the time I get there, the Bengals are not doing great. And I asked Greg, you know, how are they doing? And he just like grunted his rosy grunt at me. Uh, <laughs> and they had gone up. I think the Chiefs were up 21-3. So Keisha, you were determined that it was not going to go this way. <laughs> Tell everybody what you did. You know, you have your Cincy shirt on. You've got Lincoln, your son, and his little Bengals shirt looking cute. Tell everybody what you did to change the vibes. I am a big believer in like energy and putting out good vibrations and energies in the world. And Sage gets rid of like the bad vibes, bad energy. So I was just trying to do whatever it is possible to, if it's bad energy, I was going to get rid of it. And that's what I did, burned it and tried to do whatever I could to get the Bengals to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and it worked. It's and also, I didn't know that I expected Sage not to smell good. It smelled great. It depends on who it is. My mom hates it. <laughs> <laughs> The wind was kind of like blowing it over our, our faces and everything too. So we kept getting waves of it. It was lovely. I, I need some of that. I don't know what kind of magic it was. That magic worked though. They win, they go on this crazy comeback. Colleen, when they won, you immediately ran over and hugged Keisha and Link and you were crying. And then Rosie, you went over and hugged both of them. And then I came over and hugged all three of you guys. And then the, the whole backyard was hugging and everybody was crying. Kyle, it was an emotional day. It was. And... Just having watched the game the previous week, uh, sort of the same thing happened in the divisional round when the Bengals won that game. And that's sort of when I started to believe that the Bengals were going to the Super Bowl no matter what. It didn't matter who the Bengals were playing, that they were destined to go to the Super Bowl. And being with Lakeisha and all of you guys, I feel like this was just a very real way of being with Wes and Wes mm -hmm. kind of telling us that he's still with us because it just felt so improbable for all of this to happen. And for it to kind of happen this way, it's so perfectly Wes for him to reach out to us through football and knowing that this would bring us all together. And that's all Wes really ever wanted was for us to be together and experience things in each other's presence. And I think he knew that this would bring us even closer. I believe that too, Colleen, like that butterfly on the field during the wild card weekend, like that just kind of changed the whole vibe of the playoffs for me. Seeing that right before that kick went in, it's just like, okay, I see the sign, Wes, like something's going on. I don't yeah. know what it is, but I'm, I'm here for the ride. I mean, a butterfly in, you know, 30-something degree temperatures, not a normal event in the Midwest down there in Nashville. So uh, I do think Wes was showing something special to everyone. I, I like that you're clued into normal butterfly migration patterns. I mean, I could be way off, but I don't, it's not when I typically tend to see butterflies. Like, so it's, you know, it seemed like an outlier. It's very important just to speak confidently, and usually that will carry the day. Right. <laughs> That's why we're all there together is because of Wes. He was, in a lot of ways, the glue that that brought us all together. But it's happiness, it's sadness, and it, and it's football, too. And at, at least for me, like, football is just such a, 
essential part of it and to be feeling like all all those sort of emotions. And I know we felt it throughout the rest of the day. It's almost like it, you have to come down from it. It, it reminded me too of, of when Dan and I were in London and, and seeing the reaction of Wes to Wes there of all the people. And it's all so connected. And, and like, to me, that is Wes. Cause even though he had to some people like a gruff exterior, like he was all about feeling all the emotions. Like he wanted to feel everything that life had to offer. Like fun, sadness, happiness, all that stuff. Like he wanted to suck the marrow out of life. I think also with, with the Bengals, like specifically, football to me, when we were doing our show, and I mentioned this before, that I, if I'd offer an opinion or say anything about football, I'd want to know what Wes thought about what I said. I mean, I think we all kind of felt the way because if he confirmed mm-hmm. what you, um, your suspicions or opinions you're good. I mean, it's just like I walk through the streets being like, I know my, I know I'm in good shape, but he's, he's left us with the greatest, um, what would Wes think moment of all? Because yeah. I, it's like, yeah, I, I know what he'd think about like the Patriots going to the Super Bowl without Brady or Brady going with the Bucks, but it's like, what would his thoughts be on this? We've tried to deconstruct that mystery for weeks now, but it only gets more and more heightened as they advance. So um, it's almost just another perfect wrinkle of like, everyone has the same question. Where would Wes be with all of this, you know? Mm. Yeah, so let's talk about the true meaning of West of Us because we've been, I, at least I've been sort of applying this tag to what's been happening. But the true meaning of West of Us was built around the Bengals being terrible and losing in the playoffs. And really, it was just an excuse for us to gather and like overserve each other. And <laughs> like, how do we think Wes would actually feel about this? Because, you know, he had complicated feelings about the Bengals and like renounced his phantom at one point. But it is such an incredible run. I think absolutely as a football fan, he would admire this Bengals team and really be all in on Joe Burrow, obviously, and the casual greatness of Jamar Chase. I think he would really appreciate the team, but it truly was a complicated relationship. It was a broken marriage. That's how he put it. It was a dossier, a document. It was a big (laughs) manila folder that Lakeisha still has to this day that had 300 to 400 pages of columns and newspaper write-ups. And it was explaining why he was leaving the Bengals fandom in the early 2000s after years of uh, fan abuse in his description. And I remember, you know, in the last three or four years of the podcast, I always used to say to Wes, all right, Wes, come on, let's do it. As a Jets homer, I, I, I wanted Wes to get back and have his hometown team. And I say, like, what about now, Wes? How about now? And he'd be like, no, 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 no. And then Joe Burrow came around. I was like, well, hey, this Burrow kid's pretty exciting. And it always went back to his initial issues with ownership and Mike Brown and, and all the ways that Cincinnati was behind the times. And as someone who's a really smart man and gifted intellect when it came to football as well. Like he saw through a lot of the facade of the Bengals, even when they were yeah. successful, which was kind of the root of West of us, which was, yes, you're in the playoffs, but you're not a real team. And it, everyone's going to see <laughs> on the first opening window of the playoffs. That's really what it was. It was West proving everybody wrong that might have even had an inkling of hope for Cincinnati. What makes it different is it was that- dunking on his brothers, right? I mean, it right, was, it was dunking on his <laughs> brothers. And that's why like, I can't, I can't say with 100% certainty that West would have been rooting for the Bengals throughout this process if he was with us because I don't know he was a stubborn man as well maybe he would the rough exterior would have fallen away but he really did have an axe to grind with Cincinnati I, I don't what do you think Lakeisha do you think things would have changed with this team I think it changes when you become a dad like you guys are hmm. like Link would remind him how he was as a kid and stuff so I feel like we would have really butted heads because I already gave him the reds 
because, you know, baseball was his number one love. And I was just like, you're not getting football. Like I'm raising Link as a Rams fan. <laughs> but <laughs> and now this all happens. It's just crazy. It is crazy. And I choose to believe, as Keisha does, that this is Cosmic Forces and, and Wes doing this. And it gets better because, Keish, there's Operation Get Wes's Brothers to the Super Bowl. Tell people about that. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to like tell you guys all this, but when I was at the Rams game crying for their victory and making it to the Super Bowl, this random guy, as I'm watching you know, the Rams celebrate after the game, walks in front of me and says, you know, congrats on the win. And I look, and he's wearing like a Bengals shirt. Out of the whole entire stadium, there's, you know, so many 49ers fans and Rams fans, and this random person just walks by, and I'm just like, yo, no, congrats to you, too. And it's just like, as I'm leaving the game, this weird feeling like I really do believe, like, Wes's spirit is all around this, and it just was like, I got to get his brothers to the game. So, like, you know, I'm texting you guys, and we're all trying to figure out how to make this happen, and all of his brothers are coming to the Super Bowl now, and it's just crazy. We're all going to be sitting yes. together and, and watching the Super Bowl, and I just want to be so full with so many different emotions and just, I, yeah. This is not an easy task either. They multiply. I think there's 20 of them at this <laughs> point. One of seven. How many, how many Westlings? Chris was one of seven, and I've got five of them coming. <laughs> That's amazing. You, you got to be ready for them to be trash talking when McPherson, and I hate to say this, I know you're a Rams fan, Keisha, but when McPherson hits that 58 yarder to win the game at the end, like they're going to be all over it. <laughs> I told you guys, I've already won like championship weekend. That was my Super Bowl. And now it's just like, I'm happy yeah. with whichever outcome. And on the subject of Wes's brothers, there's no way to fill the hole in the podcast of Wes not being there as a friend and as someone that was just great at what he did behind a microphone. But we talked about him a lot, obviously, but also bringing in Wes's brothers this season uh, in our pick segment. And they have a, uh, a weekly check-in where they take turns picking their lock of the week. And that's just been such a great kind of window into that family because they ended up like turning on each other like three <laughs> weeks into the season. Basically, it's a one-minute recording each of them send in. And usually it's just the one burying the other for a poor pick the week before or just maybe some other bigger grievance about the person's lack of personality or the type of apartment they live in. And it's just My like favorite. it was a reminder of like this is a real family. Wes was part of a bunch of guys that were just like maniacs. And uh, I love that they're kind of part of the ATN universe as well now. And it, it kind of another thing that connects us to Chris. That's why I have a hard time believing like you wouldn't. Sorry, Mark, uh, that. Like he wouldn't have enjoyed it just because how could he not be happy to see his brothers and Spice Rack and, and everyone that loves the Bengals happy? I love that they've joined the ATN universe too. And I love the ATN universe period. Like Rosie, you were mentioning how cool it was to see the reaction in London. And I always think about, I forget if it was West of Us or WrestleMania when one of the listeners reached out, he, he's like living on Vancouver Island and he reached out to Wes and said, I'd, I'd like to come. And not only did he come, he slept on Wes's couch for several days. And like that, I think, I know, I know, Dan, this is a sore point for Dan. But, but he didn't just, tell him he was coming. He just showed up, right? Yeah. Or, he showed up. But this is who little, Wes was. A little strange. It was like, okay, but still, what I'm saying is that like all of you guys and Wes in particular have such reach. And like our producer Cooper is a huge ATN fan. And like people who never met him, felt like they knew him. And that's a powerful thing. And I think like we were all so lucky to have spent time with him. That's why he was such a great hang. Uh, one of the many reasons was it was always the more the merrier. And like our 
company softball team, the shield, like, you know, Wes was an anchor on that team and so important to the team because like it was, it became us all just hanging out and then winning softball games for seven innings. But we would hang out before the games, after the games. It was always a good time with Wes because that was kind of his, his way to look at life. Wes was just truly, for me, one of the most unexpected people I've ever met in my life because when I first started listening to ATN, it was when I got the job at NFL Network. And I was like, well, I, I gotta, I gotta figure this this out. I gotta learn way more. So I just started, I I searched NFL podcasts, and yours was the first one that came up. And I just started crushing episodes on the flight to LA when I was moving out here. <laughs> and I couldn't stop listening after I started. And I remember thinking that Wes was going to probably be the most difficult. I was like, well, I got to be friends with these guys as soon as I started listening. And I thought that Wes was going to be the hardest person to win over. And then as soon as I actually met you guys, Wes was the easiest person to become friends with out of any, rank anyone. Rank the others. Yes. Rank. rank the others. Dan was the most difficult. <laughs> Dan was the hardest <laughs> nut to crack. <laughs> I don't like to be friends with anybody I don't know. So that, that was not personal. <laughs> but with Wes, he immediately was so warm, so welcoming. Just as you said, it was the more the merrier with him. And he was such a, a glue guy. And it's just the fact that we all get to get together now and watch this Super Bowl and be together for it is yeah. the best part of it. We spend a lot of time together. We spend a lot of time talking about it, spending time together. And by the time people listen to this, we will have gathered together to remember Wes. I think the way Keish, he would want us to, we're going to go to some of his favorite spots in LA. And then we're going to go back to your place and play cornhole. And for people who don't know, Wes was easily the best cornhole player in our group. Uh, and then me and then everybody else. And then Dan, <laughs> like, we're going to go back and, and play. Must and I humble out. you again, John? <laughs> we're going to go, we're going to hang out and bust each other's chops and, and hug each other. And Keish, this is, I think what he would want, right? Definitely. All he wants is just for us to get together and just enjoy ourselves and have fun and just, I'm looking forward to it all. Like, I love you guys so much. And I'll be bringing the boys, uh, Jack and Harrison, who are like kind of big brothers, uh, older cousins to Link. And uh, I just love seeing the way they play together, Lakeisha. And that is kind of a promise I made to myself. And I think a promise we all made to each other after Wes was gone to kind of be there for Link, uh, yeah. be there for Lakeisha and get through what's been obviously a very trying couple of years. So um, I'm really looking forward to that because for a lot of us, all of us really, our family isn't here. Uh, so you kind of create your own family out West. And uh, that's certainly what we did. And that's why when we lost West, it was like losing a brother. But these conversations, I think, are really good because it's it reminds you of all the, the great things that came out of knowing him. 100%. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys, um, Lakeisha and Colleen and Mark and Dan and Greg. I love you guys. Love and you too. Love you we too, love Gonzo. Chris. Love you, John. Right back at you. <laughs> I mean, you guys, Colleen and Gonzo are like a, like 10 feet away saying that to each other. It's very sweet. We couldn't share a microphone. One mic per host here. Mm. Would have been funnier. <laughs> Only one host in this house. We're first among equals. Um, as Wes would say, heed the call. Heed the Thanks call. for doing this, everybody. 
Sports Illustrated Weekly is a production of Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. And for more of Sports Illustrated's best stories and podcasts, visit SI.com. This episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly was produced by Alex Kappelman, Cooper McKim, and Isaac Lee, who is also our sound engineer. Our senior producer is Dan Bloom. Our executive producers are Scott Brody and me, John Gonzalez. Our theme song is by Nolan Schneider. Thanks for listening, and if you stuck around this long, we leave you with this from Inglewood Mayor James Butts. I don't know about the video. I do know that you will have your audio. We're going to have a whole podcast on it. Okay. Thank you very much. I mean, come on. This is my chance to be in Sports Illustrated. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.